My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. to tell you something that happened to me on Friday. Um, as you just heard, uh, we had a celebration for those of you who serve here, a volunteer celebration on Friday evening, and it was called an ugly sweater night. And I can't wear a sweater. I'm hot all the time. I'm always warm, so I don't even own a sweater. But I thought I'd go to Goodwill and try to be a good sport and pick something up. So I walk into Goodwill, and I look in all their sweater sections, and there's nothing that quite fits my body type. So I look in the shirt section, and there they have what I think is going to be the winning selection. I find this shirt that to me is representation of evil ugly. It's like a throwback to the 70s that was made in the 90s and shouldn't have been made at all. So I go to buy this sweater or shirt, and I know it's got to be ugly because it's marked 50% off at Goodwill. (laughs) And I'm too embarrassed to wear this to Starbucks or to Chick-fil-A when I go get my food my coffee. I walk in with a white t-shirt. There's no way I'm going to wear this shirt. But I put it on for the event. And I had like 10 people come up to me and say, hey, what's the problem? You don't have an ugly shirt to wear? (laughs) So all night long, I'm struggling with this deep insecurity. Like either one, they think I normally dress like this. And like, what does that say about my sense of fashion? So I thought about coming up here in a white t-shirt, but... I pulled this thing out of the closet. I hope somebody doesn't say, oh, there's your ugly sweater shirt. That's what happened to me Friday. We had a great time. We had a great time celebrating people who served. If you think about our attendance right now, and you think about how many people we have serving, that's impressive. We have about half of our people involved in service. That's pretty impressive. That's one of the reasons why I love Sunrise. I said that Friday evening. I'll say it again this morning. Along with loving Sunrise, I love living in Oregon. I think Oregon has some outdoor, wonderful, spectacular places. Uh, This past week, I spent a day and a half, two days at the Oregon coast in Lincoln City with some key leaders here. We had an 
beautiful day at the beach. And it doesn't matter to me if you're in central Oregon at the coast or if you're in northern coast or the southern coast. We just have spectacular beaches. And along with our beaches, we have beautiful grand forests. We have gurgling rivers that flow throughout the state. We have some majestic mountains. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to climb up to the top of a mountain, but there are a few things as breathtaking as standing at the summit of one of our Cascade Range mountains. Uh, When you stand up there, when you look out, all that huffing that you did on the way up doesn't compare to the way the view itself is going to take your breath away. They're just spectacular. And I had the opportunity a few years ago to climb to summit Mount Hood. I went up to Mount Hood with a friend of mine named Glenn. Glenn is a Mazama. Some of you know about the Mazamas. A Mazama means that he's a skilled mountain climber, and I needed some skill because I didn't have any to climb up to the summit. And so Glenn agreed to take me up there. I met Glenn at a mental health hospital. No, no, we weren't patients. We worked there together. He was a mental health therapist. I was a mental health therapist. And um, we had spent a couple years working together and became friends. He was studying to become a medical doctor. And he knew that I studied psychology and theology as I went through my Master of Arts program in counseling. And so we had some pretty engaging conversations together. And I followed his footsteps up Mount Hood, just like an apprentice should. I, one foot after the other, just one foot. If you've ever climbed mountain climbing, you know how important it is just to follow directly behind the person who's leading in front of you. And that's what I did. And it was around 3.30 a.m. We were passing the Devil's Kitchen headwall on the climb. Some of you know that point in the mountain. And we got involved in a conversation. He started asking me, He said to me, he said, you know, what do you think about that experience that Moses had in the burning bush? Well, I thought for a minute, I considered who I was talking to. And I said, Glenn, if you're asking me if I believe in the supernatural, I do. And Glenn's response was, well, I'm a naturalist and I don't. And from what I can tell, Moses was probably delusional if not at least having a hallucination or not schizophrenic. And I thought to myself, Glenn doesn't have the category of supernatural. And so all he can do with that story is disregard certain information. And I suspect there are a number of you in this room today who are a lot like my friend Glenn. I know several people who are naturalists and simply disregard, dismiss, any claim to the supernatural. Well, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about angels. And you might think, oh, that's a nice mythical creature that makes for good fiction. And you dismiss it. And my request to you this morning is that you just listen to the story that I'm going to tell and take this story on its own own terms. Just consider the story on its own terms. 
But I suspect equally so that there are many of you in this room who'd be quick to affirm the supernatural. You would affirm the spiritual. You wouldn't take a moment of consideration before you'd say, well, of course there's the spiritual. But I think some of you face a different barrier this morning. And that barrier is your view of angels is that they're just beautiful, adorning creatures. I can remember when my wife and I were newly married. It was only a few years into our marriage that I wanted to buy her some impressive gift for our anniversary. And it was around Christmas time. And I went to the store and I looked in the jewelry store and I found some diamond rings. You know, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Diamonds are forever, that kind of thing. Well, you know, I got sucked in. And I bought her some diamond rings. I thought, how beautiful would my wife look with adorning diamond earrings? And for some of you, when you think of an angel, what you think of is this cute, ornate, spiritual being that kind of sparkles in the sky like diamonds. And honestly, nothing more could be farther from the truth. You're about as far away from the truth as my friend Glenn, who disregards the supernatural because you relish them, you relinquish them, you reduce them to something that's just cute and winged and adorning. And that's not at all what they are. So as we look at the story today, I'd like to ask you to try to consider what this character or these angels are all about from the point of view of Scripture itself. But before we start with the nativity story, I really need to take you back to the creation story if you're going to understand what I'm talking about. If we go back to creation, you don't have to read the Bible far or long until you get introduced to the very first character. And most of us in this room would recognize the principal character in the Bible is God. And shortly after you meet God, you meet the humans. And there you have it, God and humans. But there's actually a large variety of other characters, a much bigger cast than God and humans. In the very first creation account, we are introduced to spiritual characters as well. And in the Hebrew, in Hebrew scripture, the word that's used for these spiritual characters is simply Elohim. And Elohim include a large group of various spiritual characters. Any non-physical spiritual character is included in this group called Elohim, God himself. Cherubim are included. Angels are included. The heavenly host is included. The evil one, the Satan, is included. And demons are included. All these spiritual characters coexist with God and the humans. So it would help us if we were to see this story from the same point of view that the original author wrote to his audience from to see it from the audience's original point of view. So on page one and two, we see in Genesis, God creating a beautiful, ordered 
reality out of a disordered darkness. And some of you know the story. And the very first day, he separates the skies above from the land below. And we see the heavens high above is God's domain. And we see the earth here below as humans' domain. But notice in the Bible, these two spaces are not separate. They actually overlap. And at the central connecting point is a garden, a mountain garden by the name of Eden. And Eden is described throughout the Bible as a high place, as a mountain garden, as a place where heaven and earth are one, where God and humans and spiritual characters all exist together. This is important to our story. The biblical authors made clear that these spiritual beings exist for God's purposes. God appointed the spiritual characters to rule above. And he appointed the humans to rule on earth. As John Collins put it, glorious rulers above and hairy sapiens below. But God puts a twist in the plot right in the very beginning. The twist in the plot that God puts right at the start of creation is that the humans are to rule all of creation. It's kind of a masterful thing. He invites these creatures made out of mud to rise above the origins of their muddy beginnings and to share in God's glory as co-regents or rulers of all of creation. But then this spiritual creation account takes a turn. There is a created being who does not want the humans to rule. And this created being has the name the Satan. And this evil one deceives humanity into thinking that they can get divine power and they can get divine wisdom on their own terms. So humans get deceived. They grab the one thing that was not theirs, that didn't belong to them. They ran, they hid. Immediately they experienced devastating separation. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden mountain, this high place, the Garden of Eden, and they wouldn't be allowed to enter again. In that moment, this mountain garden was God's temple, his residence, where he, his presence resided. And immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, spiritual beings called cherubim guarded the Garden of Eden, this high place. They guarded the garden to keep Adam and Eve out. Cherubim are the spiritual beings that have wings. Angels don't. Cherubim are intimidating creatures with majestic animal features and wings. And they preside around the presence of God and they sing his praises. And these cherubim are now in the garden keeping Adam and Eve out of God's presence. So Adam and Eve are banished from God's presence. They're exiled to wander the earth and to return back to the dust where they came. And Satan, 
It's part of the spiritual rebellion that follows the humans outside of the Garden of Eden. And here's where things get worse. The Satan and the spiritual beings called demons influence humans to rebel against God. And they all try to promote themselves back to their own glory. But as you know, the biblical story is about how God wants us humans back into his presence. And the angels play a role in this story. So let me introduce to you our angels. Angels in the Bible have a distinct purpose, as do all of God's creatures. They are created to represent God, just like humans are created to represent God. The word angel simply means messenger. And angels are spiritual messengers or ambassadors that perform missions on God's behalf. And they don't have wings. We indulge you with the wings beside me today. In fact, angels often in Scripture are mistaken as people because they often take the form of humans. But angels never draw attention to themselves. They always point to God. Even their names point to God. Think of Gabriel, whose name means God is my power. Or Michael, whose name is who is like God. You see, humans can't walk back into the presence of God's space like Adam and Eve did in Eden, in the garden, in the mountain garden. But God's ultimate purpose is to bring humans back into his presence in a reunited heaven and earth. And sometimes, in the meantime, God reaches out to us through angels as messengers to help guide us and to help us serve as his people. And this brings us to our story today. Because as we come to the story of the nativity we're going to see in rapid order the angels showing up very quickly, time after time after time, which is a little bit unusual in the storyline because they don't pop in and out so frequently. But here, we'll see them a few times very quickly. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the angel of the Lord in verses 18 through 24 appear to Joseph. And we heard a message about this two weeks ago. This angel gives a life-changing message to Joseph about Mary and about the conception of Jesus and about the person of Jesus and about the work of Jesus and about Joseph's work. And then we see another angel, probably Gabriel, or it is Gabriel, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 25. God sends the angel Gabriel with a message to prepare Zechariah Because Zechariah, you hear that, don't you? Mike is coming to help me. You thought my shirt was ugly. Promise? Who knows? It could be an angel. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel comes to talk to Zechariah. Here is a servant of God who is longing and waiting for the Messiah. 
And God sends Gabriel to talk to Zechariah and Elizabeth because they are going to give birth to John the Baptist. And some of you know John the Baptist is an important forerunner to Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, we see again Gabriel coming to Mary. And last week we heard about this story. And this angel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit would give her a child. And that child would be named Jesus. Heaven meets earth again and again and again to help humans prepare us to receive the plan that God enacts to bring us back into his presence and to reunite heaven and earth. So just for the story of Jesus' birth, we see the angels come to the nativity story first to Joseph and then to Zechariah, and then to Mary, and then to the shepherds in our passage today. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, the Bible says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. So first, The angel Gabriel instructs them as to where and when they'll find this baby. And he announces, the good news that will bring great joy has come. The first angel brought that news. I think it's striking what happens next. What happens next, we had an angel come to Joseph. We had an angel come. To Zechariah, we had an angel come. To Mary, we had an angel come to the shepherds. But now, what we see is not a cute little angel. The very next verse, verse 13 says, Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying, remember the storyline where we started from. God created heaven and earth and he separated the two domains. And in the middle, we get to meet humanity and God. But there was a spiritual rebellion and we were influenced by that and we revolted and said, no, I'm going to try to find life my own way. And the angels all along have watched this play out. And now they know. This host of angels, this army of heaven came. I don't know if you've ever been in an event where the black choir gets up, you know, maybe 100 people and starts to sing. But that can move you. If you've never gone, you might try it. It'll do something for your faith. That pales. That pales in comparison of what we see here. This vast host of angels. And this is what they say. They burst out in song. They are not talking to humans. They're singing to all of creation, to heaven 
and to earth. They represent Jesus and they declare for any and all to hear glory to God in the highest. They have been there. They live there. They know that Jesus is from there. That's where he resides at the highest of high. And they declare glory to God in the highest. That's what it means to God. And then they tell you what it means to us. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. Now, you know, I don't want to run ahead too far, but it doesn't take long until you get right after this story and you see there's no peace on earth. So what kind of peace are we talking about here? I mean, immediately after Jesus was born, what we see is the entire kingdom of Herod marching against this little baby. Peace on earth to whom God is pleased. You know, it's really hard to have peace in your heart. It's really hard to experience the peace of God if you're still at war with God. If you're still back with that spiritual rebellion, fighting against the move of God in your life, it's going to be very hard for you to have peace in your heart. But the angels came and declared that this birth, this son, this baby comes that we might have. I remember when I first bent my knee to Jesus, the peace that came to my life, a peace that I never knew before, a peace that I was reconciled in right relationship with God, that peace is what he offers. And if you're here this morning, and as you think about the announcement of the angels that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is here, the one who can bring you into right relationship with God, and you have never bent your knee to him, or you're struggling to let him be your leader, there will be no peace in your life. You cannot have peace in your life and be at war with God. And if you're at war with God, if you're struggling to obey God and there's no peace in your life, the people who are around you cannot experience peace from you either. I remember my first year following Christ, the song that seemed to ring over and over and over again. Some of you may remember, it goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. And you can say that. If you've come to follow Jesus. Because God is well pleased with those who follow Jesus in faith. You see, at this point in the story, the entire cast is there. We've got God, we've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, we've got God the Holy Spirit, we've got humans, 
We've got angels. We've got cherubim. We've got demons. We've got the evil one. They're all there. And Jesus has come that he might give a new humanity, a relationship with God. The angels were there at the beginning when Jesus was in heaven. The angels were there at the manger when Jesus came to earth. The angels were there in the desert when Jesus was tempted. The angels were there in the garden when Jesus prepared to go to the cross. The angels were at the cross. The angels were at the empty tomb. In fact, at the empty tomb... We have an angel come down again and say, for an angel of the Lord, Matthew 28 says, came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled away the stone and he sat on it. And as the ladies came running, he said, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. The angel said, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. And then the last time we see the scene of the angels, well, the angels are in heaven, and Jesus is coming to earth, and they join him in great force as Jesus comes to rightfully rule heaven and earth. And John ends with this scene, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000. They encircled the throne and with a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and power and wisdom and strength and glory and praise. Well, the angels at the nativity said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those with whom God is pleased. If you're fighting with God today, would you yield yourself to him and find peace? If you struggle to believe that there is spirituality, I promise you, he can make himself clear to you. If you'll just open your heart and bow your knee. Would you pray with me? Father, as we think, as I think of the angels today, I am reminded of how we live in a spiritual world with spiritual forces at work that are real and powerful and that influence us. But you send your spirit and you sent your son to bring us back into your presence so that earth could enter heaven again. Heaven to earth that we hairy sapiens might know you again and worship you as it was meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen.